Hello and welcome. This is a podcast explaining Ukraine by ukraineworld.org. We continue our podcast about the war, full-scale war which Russia unleashed against Ukraine. The series is brought to you by Internews Ukraine and Ukraine Crisis Media Center, two Ukrainian media NGOs. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm a chief editor of ukraineworld.org. I'm joined by Tatyana Harkova, who is in charge of international outreach of Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Hello, Tanya. Hello. So we are making this podcast at our home. This this creates this specific, very cozy image but of course we continue to reflect about the war about the atrocities about everything which is which is going on uh, you can support us on patreon patreon.com ukraine world so today we want to talk about very general issues and the question is why has russia started this horrible war against ukraine what what is the first answer for you well, the the question is not easy to answer because still, sometimes uh, when I try to think over the situation, and I have an impression that maybe tomorrow we will wake up and we'll understand that it was everything was not true, so it didn't happen. In fact, so it's so absurd and so stupid. But um, the explanation, in my opinion, is that uh, Putin's Russia exhausted all other resources to control Ukraine. What they did in 2014, when they annexed Crimea and a part of Ukrainian Donbass, it was a, a, an attempt to control over Ukraine uh, politically, because after that we had all this nomadic format, these Minsk agreements, Minsk 1, Minsk 2, all these negotiations with France and Germany, Ukraine and Russia for many years. And their idea was to gain the control over Ukraine in a kind of a diplomatic way. And then they failed. And this is not by chance, this is not accidental that the last attempt to to talk in this about in this Minsk format over this Minsk format, the last failure was several weeks before this invasion. What uh, Putin did before before it was a kind of a political attempts to control over Ukraine with gas wars, which started uh, lasted for many years. We do remember that. So it was a kind of political. Um, attempts in Yanukovych times. Then failure, failure, because Yanukovych fled the country, so um, Euromaidan and the end of the story. So another attempt was with this diplomatic. And when they exhausted all their resources, the only way for Russia to control Ukraine was this military military way. And uh, So let, let's summarize. So the first, I think... If, if we go back, like, in 1991, I think one of the illusions of the Western world was, was to think that the Soviet Union empire is collapsed. Whereas, at the same time, I think that there was a silent agreement in the Western world that it should be allowed to exist in a certain form. Not in a, in a form of the centralized empire, but in a form of the quasi-feudal model in which there is a center in Moscow and then uh, like vassal states like Ukraine, Belarus, Kazakhstan, etc. What do you call zone of influence? Zone of influence. Then there were different forms of uh, controlling these uh, independent states through economics, of course, but also through energy. Since 2006, at least, 
after the Orange Revolution, several years after the Orange Revolution, we have witnesses witnessed the new ga- the, the gas wars when Russia was trying to to cut the gas gas supplies from Ukraine yeah, to accuse Ukraine after to cut the the, ga- the gas supplies to Europe to accuse Ukraine etc. And nobody really believed. Well, in Ukraine. Uh, n- nobody really in in the West. Nobody really believed in in Ukrainian narrative that it was all a means of Russian or Russian game. And, right? and, like, and the game was the same not only with Ukraine. So that's uh, the p- you are making the right point because it was the game was the same with Moldova and with Georgia. In Moldova, we witnessed all these events in Transnistria in '92. Uh, so it was also a way to control former republic, and then in Georgia, in Georgia as well, uh, with all these two. S- so-called republics in it, 2000. It was already in early 90s, right? So yeah. it was already attempts to control it militarily through through creating these military enclaves, the frozen conflicts, etc. Yeah. Then so there was this economic war. Then there was this gas war. Then there was were attempts to put, as you said, the the, the leader, the puppet leader like Yanukovych. Then after it failed, they tried to make an influence in Ukraine, the political influence through the people like Medvedchuk. Uh, they and through diplomacy and also through uh, François Hollande and Angela Merkel. So, I mean, talking to people and pushing Ukraine to a kind of this hybrid peace. I mean, so everybody's okay with uh, Crimea next and everybody's okay about part of Ukrainian Donbass next. And now we are talking about the conditions, how to get the ceasefire and how to get how Ukraine would would get, get back these territories without the real control. What does it mean? So it's about sovereignty because you, if you get back territories, you don't really co- uh, control. I mean, from military point of view, it means that you are you become a kind of a part of Russia because Russia controls and controls people who vote in the territories and they vote for central government, they vote for presidents, they vote for parliament, they have their voice in these geopolitical choices like NATO or whatever, European Union. So, um, so three million of people lived in the territories occupied um, by Russia in 2014. I mean, only in Donbass and Lugansk only. And then two millions in Crimea. So, But Crimea got back to, to, to Russia directly. So it is a huge amount of people. It's a big part. I, I would say almost 10, maybe not 10%, but but uh, I don't know, 8% of population. It's, it's, it's a lot. So it's, it could be decisive. After this economic blackmail, gas blackmail, attempts to impose the puppet government, there was this attempt to just anchor Ukraine through these puppet republics, right? It also didn't work. So indeed, you're right, the military uh, option was the, the last resort. The and desperate and, and uh, uh, interestingly, or paradoxically, or dramatically, tragically, uh, the military at, uh, aggression against Ukraine is a sign of Russian weakness that it it has exhausted all other all other means to control this country, all the soft power means or whatever whatever it might be. Let let's try to go deeper. So we discussed this recent past, but for many people, like what is Ukraine? Ukraine started to exist in 1991. Nobody knows about the history of Ukrainian independence in early 20th century. Nobody cared about Ukraine during the Versailles Treaty. But let's try to fill this gap. If you were to describe the different difficult relations between Ukrainians and Russians since the 
for the last several centuries? How would you describe them? Uh, the first thing I would say here is that everything started in Kiev. So everything the story of Ukraine and Russia started in Kiev in the uh, in the early ninth, tenth centuries, and uh, Rus was here. Uh, Kiev was the center of that, and Moscow appeared much later. And it's not a uh, not a surprise that this is a beginning. This is a heart in a kind of this of this civilization, and um, that's why. Later, later in history, we see these uh, attempts of Moscow to control Kiev, uh, to put to bring it back to this bigger, bigger empire in a way, and we do remember all these um, all these uh, attempts to to control, to erase any kind of differences. The problem is that, and it's very actual now because uh, uh, when we read Putin, so we are. Um, we were busy <laughs> reading his articles. He stated many times that uh, Ukraine is something artificial. It means that what does it mean that it's artificial? It means that it doesn't exist in nature. This is not something organic, not something uh, authentic, not something real, not something historical. So he was claiming, for example, that Putin, cre uh, Putin, uh, Lenin created this artificial state in the beginning of the 20th century. But the truth is that it, uh, Russia is. The kind of um, kind of um, um, second state. I mean, second state in this story with Kiev and the relationship between Kiev and Moscow is that uh, Moscow comes after Kiev. So, for him, is to 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 describe Ukraine as a kind of a deviation, deviation from this common history. And when and we all experience that uh, attitude of Russians even in our days. They look at Ukrainians like. Uh, fake copy of real people, fake copy of Russians. So, and when they called um, Ukrainians for many centuries, uh, malorosi, yeah? uh, small Russians. So like, like fake, not real copies of, um, of, of Russians. So, and this is, a this is an attempt to hide the, the reality and the roots. And that's why Ukraine in a way is much more important for, for Russia than Georgia and Moldova, because this is about common history and what they tried to attend and what they, what they were trying to, to show during all the centuries, 19th century, 18th century, it, that uh, Ukraine doesn't exist. And you, So what? this was a paradoxical logic uh, of thinking, the line of thinking. They were saying that Ukrainians don't, don't exist, that they're actually Russians. But that, why they cared so much about this? Because for them... Ukraine was the center of Russia. Ukraine was a, a place where their their idea of Russia uh, started. For our European audience, for example, it would be the same as, for example, Germans would say that, uh, well, parts of the Benelux countries and, and, and France are actually Germany because it was a place of Carolingian Empire in the same in the same time, like the ninth and tenth centuries. So the the, the parallel is very uh, very clear. And um, and there there is also a parallel between the the relations with with Byzantine with Rome etc. So they are saying that they are really obsessed with this idea that Ukrainians is not a real nation because they themselves understand that they would be not Russians in their sense of the term without Kiev, and they need Ukrainians so much to fill in the void which exists in their own conception of Russian and Russians, etc. Because Russia, 
we can we can actually say that they're claiming that Ukrainians are artificial because Russians themselves are in many aspects artificial. Uh, it's not a nation state. It's not Russian is not a ethnicity because it's it's uh, combined so many different ethnicities: the Ugrofins, the the Mongoloids like Buryats, the the Turkic people like Bashkirs and and Tatars and uh, and all the rest and Caucasians, of course. And and this creates certain void, this imperial void. So basically, this is a complex. This is their complex, this complex of weakness. Yes, indeed, I would absolutely agree. Saying that the lack of identity, they feel kind of a lack of identity. But in, instead of uh, establishing a normal, normal relationship and uh, admit these common roots, why not? They try to appropriate, as they did for many centuries with Ukrainian culture. Recent stories we've already discussed many times. They're trying to appropriate everything, maybe the best, uh, the best masterpieces of Ukrainian culture, just to claim it was Russian because they, it happened in Russian Empire. So everything which was Ukrainian, it was a kind of provincial. So, but the best were going to Moscow for many centuries. It, Sure enough, and nothing changed in Soviet times. In Soviet times, also Ukraine was a kind of a republic, important republic, uh, not uh, not maybe uh, even maybe more important than Moldova, in a way, uh, one of the biggest republics, one of the most richest republics, but always on the second place after Russia. So Russia was a center. And this is a kind of uh, weakness. So let us state that once again, that this war is not about the strength of Putin. This is about their weakness. I mean, uh, ideological, on the level of ideas, on the level of, of uh, ideology, and also about vision of future. History for Putin is extremely important, maybe because of age. We can reflect on that saying that looks the difference between Putin and Zelensky. So it's different difference in generations as well. So he is 70. He's approaching 70 years old. Somebody should think about eternal things, about maybe meaning of life, about the trace in history. He would live something like that. And history for him is a kind of a very important subject. Maybe even if he is completely wrong in, in what he's stating, history is still important for him. And he's already thinking about, about history. And that's why he feels that historically speaking, historically speaking, Russia loses without Ukraine. Because if we speak about, about economy today, about Russia today, look, you have a huge country. You have a lot of um, territories. You have a lot of tasks. You have huge population, enough people to keep you busy with their lives, with their comfort, I don't know, with their achievements, with your science, with your, I don't know what, with your energy, with your business. Why not? Why are you uh, focusing so much efforts on history and not on present and not on the future? So you're not speaking about future, you're speaking about the past. I think that the age of Putin is also important uh, if we try to answer the question why Putin, why Russia uh, aggressed, invaded, really, really inv invaded Ukraine three months ago. In invaded for the second time. So this is the second Ukrainian-Russian war or Ru Russia-Ukrainian war. Let's not, let's not forget. So uh, coming back to this imperial question, the problem of Russia is that Ukraine is not only a colony for, for her, but it's a kind of a head of the empire. 
So without Ukraine, Russia feels as a kind of a headless empire. And I think this is very important to stress. Therefore, we, we try to describe Ukrainian history, Russian history in terms of imperialism, colonialism, but many, many parts of the framework to which we are accustomed to, like Western audiences accustomed to, uh, are working here, but some of them are not working here. Because this imperialism is very specific. It's like a colony which became an empire tries to <laughs> tries to reconquer its head, its very core. I would say that yes, this classic the definition of colony, a colony and um, uh, empire is somehow different in our context because this is not about a developed state which is con which conquered a kind of different land um, and uh, imposing this different state. This is a paradox why Ukraine became colony because everything started here, but historically this is not a paradox. There clear historical explanations because after the 11th century there was a Tatars coming here destroying everything on their on Mongols, their, Mon Mongols uh, on their way and then another center different center emerged in Moscow and the ruin for some time here in Kiev and then the second center beca became uh, stronger and then stronger enough to control the first place so it's complicated story but this is not a colonialism in this I would say co classic uh, classical definition but still, when we look in recent history, I mean, in the 19th century, it was a kind of a colony. And with many bans, with many um, rights, we were deprived of many rights. Um, I mean, language, I mean, literature, all these Valuyev secular, all these um, other... Amps decree. Amps decree uh, uh, limiting uh, possibilities for Ukrainian culture and thus for Ukrainian identity. So, and it was, Ukrainian culture was presented like a, like a popular culture, you know, culture of like uh, um, not educated people pe peasants and all these lowest class of people and the high culture I mean in Russia it was a kind of a high culture noble culture it was there so this relationship started to be very present in in 18th and 19th maybe 19th century more, more, more or less so we discussed two aspects the first aspect is the post-soviet times and we try to explain why Russia invaded Ukraine right now, because our conclusion is that it is exhausted all other means, political, energy, soft power, informational, to conquer Ukraine. So military means is the only only tool left. We also discussed kind of deeper history, also very superficially, of course, but we come back to it every time in our podcast, trying to explain that the relations, imperial colonial relations between Ukraine and Russia are n complicated and that Ukraine is not, uh, Ukraine is perceived by Russia as a colony, but in fact it was uh, for, for Russians uh, being Russia is kind of incomplete without conquering Kiev, without conquering Ukraine. And the third block, let's talk about this Russian imperialism. Uh, what is its specifics? Because it it also it it is also one of the reasons why why Russia attacked, and uh, uh, I would say that it is also important uh, first that R Russia considers themselves as an empire. It's it's an idea of statehood was primarily imperial at the very beginning, not not an idea of a certain territory, mm -hmm. not an idea of certain. Um, 
a certain even dynasty, not an idea of certain, of course, not a nation state, but nations uh, appeared much, much later in our sense of the term. But look at how they define themselves from the very beginning. Moscow, a third Rome. That means that this is a reference to something else, to something very far away, to a fantasy. And this reference to a fantasy is, I think, very, very important for Russia. So when Mr. Surkov is saying that if Russia does not expand, it will collapse, that also defines a certain element Just of Dugin this. Telling, so Dugin no, no, Surkov as well? No, I think, I think both. Both of them stress that Russia cannot be stable within its borders. It either expands or it will collapse. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, exactly. So this imperialism in the very beginning, but um, it is a fantasy. And I would also stress that they, uh, quite empirically speaking, when we are asking questions why it happened now in 2021, why it didn't happen in 2018 or, or 19 or 20, um, one of explanations uh, which I find really uh, maybe trustworthy is that uh, COVID times and all this pandemia time, uh, Putin became very much isol isolated physically and um, in terms of communication. And he started dreaming, uh, you know, without real communication with, with people. Now we know a lot of rumors about his cancer, about his illnesses. That's not the subject here. But in a way, he was really physically isolated from real living creatures, I mean, from people. And maybe one of the uh, explanations is that he started imagining these um, extremely uh, irrealistic act, like invasion of a neighbor, I mean, full-scale invasion. This is not like taking Crimea in a week without any blood. You know, this is a different scale of operation. But he started believing his own fantasies about this Russia, I mean, Russia today, which, which is a kind of a, a strong, but not so so very strong country. At that much level. weaker than we much thought. Much weaker than before, and a kind of a regional power. Russia was in, became with Putin a kind of a regional power, but not global one. After this, their losses in the Cold War, after the collapse of the Soviet Union, we were not talking about Russia like a global leader. It was very quite far from that. I mean, globally, geopolitically, Russia represented nothing like uh, like a real um, global leader. But he started dreaming, and all these ultimatums, ultimatums we've heard in back in October, uh, November about NATO, so go away because so because um, uh, no no an expansion uh, expansion of NATO, etc. etc. There were stories about him imagining Russia great again and just believing that to the point to send troops literally so it was not virtual it was literally sending troops a lot of troops on ukrainian border and our idea that he will never proceed to act but he did because he started believing his fantasies yes this is one of the this element of the russian empire right now it's a uh, uh, I, I try to call it once or 
postmodern fascism and then I had understood that somebody else also did it so it's probably not my invention but some people think in the same in the same uh, categories so it's a combination between very archaic forms of, of government and very like postmodern uh, ideas when virtual world needs to conquer the real world right so so this is also a war against reality we can say but look a, a very important thing is that it's not something that happened in russia right now it's really something which is in russian political culture this stress on imagination this stress exactly. on fantasy this mistrust to the reality mistrust to empirical facts read berdyaev nikolai berdyaev one of the big russian philosophers born in kiev by the way which uh, creates a certain ambiguity in his thinking towards Russia. He's very uh, enthusiastic about Russia, but also very critical about Russia, the uh, uh, early 20th century thinker. So he described it in a very good way, this, this apocalyptic and uh, fanatical and phantasmagoric nature of Russian uh, culture. Uh, but it's, and, and, and when we come back to this idea of the Third Rome, this is precisely that. There was no... <laughs> no empirical ground why would Moscow call itself a third Rome. But uh, what is important to stress, and I think we will be uh, wrapping up here, is that it's an illusion to think that Russia c will continue to expand. In the past century, maybe in, even in the past two centuries, Russia is shrinking. Russia, uh, Russia, Russian imperial ambitions are getting smaller and smaller. In the 19th century, when it won against Napoleon, it was considering them themselves as the enemy of all liberal thinking revolution in Europe. In the 20th century, when Soviet Union, with the help of Ukrainians, Belarusians, Georgians, uh, Kazakhs, but also Russians, uh, Jewish people, of course, conquer, um, uh, defeated mm -hmm. Nazism, uh, Russians were able to say that look, we, we, are, we are a great nation because we defeated Nazism, although, although they were not the only ones did. Now they're struggling to conquer Severodonetsk. Now they're struggling to conquer small villages on Donbass. And they, they present it as a victory. They don't even dream to conquer Kiev. They will probably try again, but right now it's a very distant fantasy. So Russia dreams to expand, but it's actually shrinking. It's an empire, it's a wounded empire, which gradually is losing its strength. And if we understand this, if we understand the logic of history right now, I think uh, we should be afraid much less of, of Russia. This was a Explaining Ukraine podcast, uh, this series about the war which Russia unleashed against Ukraine. We're making it uh, together with Internews Ukraine and Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Tetyana Harkova, myself, Volodymyr Yermolenko. You can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash ukraineworld. You can listen to our podcast at Google, Apple, SoundCloud, and now increasingly we will be posting on YouTube uh, as a video as well. Stay with us and stand with Ukraine.